whether I'm auditioning for a club, whether I'm auditioning for a television show, you're, you're filling a role. And that's what everybody is in life. They're, everyone's filling a role. Hello and welcome once again to the No Name NYC podcast, where we talk with artists about the experience of being an artist in New York City. Uh, the voice you heard up front with a very funny gentleman, our dear friend Luke Thayer. Uh, he'd been doing No Name shows for a long time and uh, he's not originally from New York, but now he's one of us, one of us, one of us. We had a lovely chat with him. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, first off, I, I want to tell you, I want to share something with you guys. I, uh, as we record this, it's it's March 24th. And it is March 24th, isn't it? I believe it is. Um, anyway, last night I did something that I have not done in over a decade. I, I was on a stage as a stand-up comic. And it, w- it wasn't a standard sort of thing. It was a specialized thing. It was a fundraiser for uh, an animal rescue shelter, uh, I believe it was Shelter Chic Animal Rescue uh, Shelter. And it, it was a wonderful time. It was at the Bell House. And uh, I did stand up as a blind guy for the first time. Uh, but it wasn't really like regular stand-up. It was, it was something called One-Liner Madness. And it was just uh, 64 comics in a single elimination sort of competition, all doing one-liners. Uh, and that was never my forte when I, I did used to do stand-up a bit. And uh, and if you use the phrase, st- did stand-up a bit, that lets you know you didn't really, really do stand-up. Um, I don't confuse what I do with, uh, say, what Luke does or, or people who are really in the game. Uh, but, you know, when you're younger, you try stuff out. Anyway, point being, I, I I was invited to participate in this, and I dug in, man. I dug in. I was writing tons of jokes every day. Most of them were really god-awful. Um, but I came down to a short list. Uh, they, they said, if you went all the way to win the competition, you would tell anywhere between one and six jokes, and you might have a... a need for a tiebreaker or two. So I came armed with about, you know, eight or nine that I'd worked on that I thought was really great. Um, Well, no, a couple of them were really great. The rest were, you know, they were all right. Um, And I came in, I was ready, and I was all psyched. And I had this fascinating circumstance because I'm not invested in that sort of thing anymore. You know, I'm not not looking for gigs as a stand-up. I'm not seeking them out. I'm not pursuing it. And the thing was, I get there, and I really, I really did bust my ass for weeks to prep for this thing, and and I felt good, I felt confident. I can't remember ever doing anything stand up related where I didn't feel anxious and miserable and 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 uncomfortable and like I was, you know, taking the last walk before they threw the switch. Uh, I was like, I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the atmosphere. I was enjoying being around all these wonderful comics. And I get out on stage and 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 I'm out there and I'm doing, you know, the opening line, you know, I, facing off against my competitor. And she does her line. She gets a big laugh. And I do my get- line and I get a big laugh. And that was a rush, man. I had forgotten that rush because the bell house was packed 
with people and it's filled with people and I'm just like, and I'm comfortable, man, and I'm ready and I'm prepared and I've never felt this professional on a mic when doing comedy before and uh, and we both got really big laughs and then they had audience applause to determine who won and she got a huge applause and I got polite applause and so I was out and like I you know I went in thinking that all I want to do is just not embarrass myself and I didn't embarrass myself but when I walked away I was like but wait I have seven other funny one li- all right I've got three other funny one liners but I've got seven others I could pass off at anyway um, it was a great experience, a great night at the Bell House. I, I may start preparing for next year's one-liner madness just because i got to burn this off somewhere. Beware, if you see me at an open mic, it's not because I'm pursuing stand-up comedy. I just need to get these out of my system somewhere in front of somebody. <sighs> so be, be, before we go to commercial, uh, yes, we actually do have a commercial. I want to just uh, tell you the, the, the one joke that I did say because it got a really big laugh, and I really think it was close. Um, so I walk out there. You know, I'm the blind guy. I need somebody to to bring me out to the mic. And our good friend, Alex D'Souza, uh, she got all dressed up. She got glammed up. She looked hot. And and so the blind guy comes out on the arm of this this beautiful woman, and, and I get on the mic and I say, for me, the most challenging aspect of going blind has been the need to be reliant on others to get around from place to place. Thankfully, I have some amazing friends like Alex here. And if the comments I'm hearing are any indication, he must be really cute. All right. There you go. I'm imagining all the hilarious laughter that's going on right now. Uh, But I know when it comes time for the applause, the the cute girl's going to (laughs) win. At any rate, I'm not bitter. Let's go to commercial. Get away to Green Bay. Yes, that's right. The historic Astor House Ben Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Where your innkeepers, Tom and Linda Steber, will greet you and make you feel at home in any of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have their own bath, and some of which even have a jacuzzi. Now, bed and breakfast. This is the bed and breakfast. You ever go to a bed and breakfast and think, I'd rather not have the breakfast? Or maybe you wake up and there was almost no breakfast and it's all gone by the time you got there. Or you do get there and there's like a couple of strips of bacon, maybe one or two turkey sausages, a box of half-eaten cereal, and some questionable fruit. That will never happen to you at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast, where nothing is more majestic than the fresh, homemade, yummy, scrumptious... Their breakfasts are amazing and are worth the trip alone. And after breakfast, if you want to know what's going on in Green Bay, what's fun to do, what restaurants do you need to check out, well, ask Tom and Linda. They know everything. They're totally connected there, and they will see to it that you have a blast every second you are up there. So, what do you want to do? You want to make some reservations? You got some questions? 
Check them out online. Go to www.astorhouse.com. That is Astorhouse, A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Escape to Green Bay today. MC'd a couple of open mics back in the day is actually where I met Amy Schumer. Oh, that's doing, very possible. You know, doing yeah. a little open mic there. I'm like, huh, she, she's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, if she sticks with it. Um, yeah. For another six weeks, and then she will be famous because uh, <laughs> it, it didn't take long. That's true. She was only like, I think, a year and a half in at that point, something yeah. like that. I knew she was new, but I also thought she was advanced for people that I knew were who were at her stage, you know mm. what I mean? But, she uh, was, uh, I met her probably around the same time. So me and Abby were, Abby is my wife, also a comedian, fabulous talent. And so very much so. she, Amy uh, and I and Abby, I just remember us doing a fashion show. Okay. So I don't know why we were booked for it, but it was probably something that somebody saw us all at an open mic and said, you should do this thing. And I bet we all got 50 bucks or something like that to do this fashion show. Okay, about 50 bucks? Uh, that money was spent 15 years ago. <laughs> it's not quite the 29 you got, but uh, yeah. <laughs> How many comics were at this fashion event? I think it was just the three of us. Okay. So that's, well, at least they got good ones. I know. Well, uh, yeah, Amy's... Obviously had great success. Abby's had her own television show mm -hmm. two or three times now. And there's me. I'm on your podcast. So maybe it's not... Uh, Hashtag badass. <laughs> I know. So it's all equal. It's all exactly <laughs> equal. We've all had various levels of success here. Exactly. And, and, and I think if they keep... Uh you know, if they keep working at it, they, they'll get up to your level. If they, oh man, they, they're not on the podcast yet. They haven't <laughs> been here. Let me ask you this. Uh, how, when did you move to New York? Uh, fall of 2005. And so, you and Abby moved together, right? Uh, essentially, we moved at the same time. So we had not been dating very long when we both moved to New York. So we had been dating eight months, something mm -hmm. like that. And prior to meeting her... I had decided I wanted to move to New York. I had been doing comedy for a few months, probably at the time I decided I wanted to move to New York. I had been seeing, I mean, obviously, I big And you're originally from? Indiana. So I moved from Indiana. So And Abby is also from Indiana. We met there doing open mics. And so I'd been seeing Woody Allen movies. I had seen, I, you know, obviously New York's the, the capital of stand-up comedy. So all of these different comics that I was studying and listening to, uh, it was all New York. I watched the movie Comedian, which I don't know. Do you ever see that documentary, yeah, Jerry yeah. Seinfeld? I watched that once a week <laughs> for my entire first year of comedy. So uh -huh. uh, every every Monday, because the open mic was on Tuesday. So I think the night before I would watch mm, uh, Get yourself, like, psyched up. Yeah, and it just kind of reminded me why I wanted to be in this thing. And so sometimes I'd listen with the commentary on. In fact, probably at least half the time. That's the, my favorite commentary on anything. And and young people that are, would be listening to this don't even know what a commentary is. Because, <laughs> in fact, old people wouldn't either because it, you have to be of a certain generation. Yeah, it's a very, very specific time frame yes, when that, that occurred. It was only – it was the DVD generation because they put commentaries on all of these DVDs to get you to want – 
a little extra because they had all this space that VHS did not have. Exactly. And you could have Given this your VHS, we, you, you need to get the DVD, and uh-huh. here's why. Yes. They're going to talk about it. They're going to talk about it, and you had the fi- sometimes it would be the filmmakers. Sometimes, yeah. And I think they did have the filmmakers on there, and I listened maybe once, but that wasn't as interesting as Jerry Seinfeld and Colin Quinn did commentary through the entire movie. Oh, and that must have been interesting. I have seen it, and I think I may actually have the DVD, but I never listened to that. So. Oh, you got to. That's uh, So prior to that, I, I mean, I was pretty young at the time, so I only knew Colin Quinn as being from Weekend Update. Right. I, I'm not old enough to know him from Remote Control or any of the stand-up he had done Prior to that, so I, yeah. I my first and only introduction to Colin Quinn was uh, on Saturday Night Live as Weekend Update host. I didn't even know him as a cast member, mm. and so right, right, right. I did not care for his Weekend Update. And I would say, uh, I think that probably he didn't care for it. But my mind was completely changed on Colin Quinn listening to this commentary. He's hilarious through the whole thing. One oh, of my yeah. favorite things in anything I've ever seen was. Uh, there's a moment in Comedian where Jerry Seinfeld is at Gotham and he's trying out some new jokes. Yeah. And it might even have been the basement at Gotham. It might not even been the main room. But he's trying out some jokes and they're not going over super great. And uh, even a woman in the audience, I believe, says, this is your first time, you know, as a joke. <laughs> and, and so uh, Jerry goes, hey, you know, people kept asking me. If I was bombing, you know, was I bombing? I wasn't bombing, you know. And uh, Colin goes, oh, you were bombing. Oh, you were bombing. Like, And Jerry's like, I wasn't. He goes, oh, you were. Like, let's not – we're not going to pretend you weren't bombing. You were bombing. You might have felt comfortable, but you were bombing. And so just the ability to talk to Jerry Seinfeld, who we're coming out of – the 90s. Why, why? The, you can't get King, bigger. Exactly, yeah. You can't exactly. get bigger than Jerry Seinfeld. That was But that humongous. right there tells you all you need to know about the fraternity of comics. Yes. <laughs> yes. If, if you're in and you have that relationship, you can say anything to anyone. Basically, unless you have a job that I want to get. Yes. Um, fuck you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a, nice a lot way, of that. Not a nice way, depending on how you feel about each other. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And so... It is something where th- – that's the freedom of comedy is, mm-hmm. you know, occasionally I'll have a gig or, or I'll have somebody, an audience member who will give their opinion on something. And, and mm-hmm. maybe well, I sh- you should do this or I didn't like that. And it's like, oh, you're not my boss. Maybe, oh. maybe, maybe we, you misunderstood this relationship. Is <laughs> I'm my boss. And so I don't work for you. you maybe you paid me tonight, but that's – that's the end of our transaction. Like, right, right. Like, I no longer care at all what you think about this. Uh, I was actually, I was performing at Gotham. <laughs> I'm not asking you to fill out a customer <laughs> no, survey. No, there's no customer service uh, a survey there. I, I was just, I was performing at Gotham last week, and it was sold out first show Friday. Mm-hmm. And all these people were coming by and going, oh, you're great. I love you. And, you know, that's not the point of the story, but we can focus on that for a second. Everyone loves <laughs> oh, Hold on a second. Let's, let's yes. take a moment to take it all in. Yes. Oh, And it was just at one after another. They were right. just saying how much they love me. Well, you, they were just saying that they enjoyed the show. And they thought I was really funny. People were following me on um, social media. And then this lady that was maybe 60 years old, I'll just put her in that range. You uh, know? She could be a little older. She could be a little younger. Gave like pointed at me, and I thought she was going to say a compliment the way they <laughs> right. were. And she goes, "Oh, more love, more, more love. love." She goes, "You are very insulting." 
and then just kept walking. And, I, you know, and I was about to – I was almost said thank you because I had been saying – you know, you, when you get in that right, rhythm, right. that little – that flow. rhythm and the pattern. So I went uh, – I raised my finger like to say thank you and I caught myself and I was like, ah. And she kept walking and then I don't know if it was her son or her husband or whoever it was. Uh, he looked a little like middle-aged, but he didn't look as old as she did. Uh-huh. Uh, was behind her, and he just shook his head almost to say, don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> we loved you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but I was like, that was – and I, I was just amused by it. That, that's the place where you get – you can get in any any profession or anything that you're um, – you've put a lot of work and years in. You get comfortable where it's like, that doesn't hurt my feelings at all or Why? bother me at all because it's like – I mean, besides the fact that 100 other people just said they enjoyed it. I was going to say, if you if – you're on defense about how it went. That's you know maybe that hits you a little differently. Oh, for but, sure. You know, at the end of the day, you know, like you know, worst case scenario, it wasn't my knife, but by this point, you know what you're doing. Right. And by the way, if I if it had not gone well and it wasn't my knife, I wouldn't be standing there where people could talk to me. <laughs> exactly. I would be in the green room. I'd be in a closet. You know, and I'd be like not near anyone that they could talk to me about it. So I understand. I understand. <laughs> That's when you find the most secluded places in the planet. Oh, for sure. And like, and the thing is, I don't even know what she found insulting, because out of you know, the, it's a lineup of uh, it, they call it Gotham All Stars, and that's a lineup that has you know five different comics on it, mm-hmm. and I'm like out of all, out of everyone, what did you find insulting about me? Because I I work clean. Fuck you! But first, I, could you elaborate? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I know. I, I, I there was part of me that wanted to be like, excuse me, what do you mean I was insulting? What what did you find insulting? So right, right, and I, you know I, it's funny because when when you said that. I flashed onto like how many times have I seen you and like I've never seen you go after anyone in the audience except there was one night I don't remember if it was a person or a group I think it was a group <laughs> a spirit and- my main memory of doing this show is I did like talk I always like talking to people or talking about the room right. a little bit and so usually I would say something to the band and about the band <laughs> and you know they were all, it was always uh, good spirited so that's that's how I think you can get away with a lot of things right, is right. it's kind of like the Jeff Playful. Ross thing you know you say you, you roast out of love yeah and so I think people can feel that spirit which something comes in so I now there are times where I have gone in on an audience member that has been truly rude or you know or they hit me at the wrong day it's like it's the wrong day to be nasty to the comics and so right. I have gone in and it's I don't think I'm particularly funny when I do that so I try to stay away from that as much as possible so it's only happened you know a handful of times in my entire comedy life mm-hmm. uh, that I've actually gone in on somebody because I think generally speaking it's easier to massage the situation than to go in hard uh, but yeah I think that there there's many times I probably did joke about the audience a little bit there at your show, but what? Well, yes, but there, there's a, you know, but in a playful nature, it was just one night that like wh- whoever it was, and I really I wish I remembered more details. I just remember the look on comics' faces, especially ones that like you might see a little bit of combativeness if there's someone who's talkative, heckling, rude, whatever. Sure. But this was a night that I saw actual anger in multiple comics' eyes. Yeah. And I was like, you know, 
where's the bouncer now? Uh, I know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, any show has the potential of that. And so, like, certain rooms, they police it very well. If you're doing a set at the Comedy Cellar, they don't let you – first of all, you can't have phones out or anything like that. Right. But secondly, if they – if, the, if somebody starts talking to the comic, even in a playful way, or and uh, they will shut that down immediately, unless the comic is specifically talking to an audience right, member and get it an answer. Yes. Uh, but if somebody's just shouting out the, and, but even in those cases that the comic talks to them, the servers are kind of keeping an eye on the situation. Like, do we need to tell them to be quiet? Why? Um, I've seen somebody refuse to be escorted out there before, which was the most bizarre thing I've seen probably in a comedy club besides someone passing out. So uh, Aziz Ansari was on stage Uh and I was hosting, I believe. And so I hadn't been in the room. The fellow? Yes. And so I hadn't been in the room. So I came back in the room, you know, because when you're hosting, you have to run out of the room. You have to like check on who's next, do all that. And I come back in and... The bouncers are in there, and the manager is in there, and there is a uh, woman. She looked like she was maybe, you know, 30s, white woman, thin, you know, just kind of what you would see in the Upper West Side type of lady. Mm. And he's talking to her, and she's got the bouncers surrounding her, and clearly there's a scene going on here. Yeah. And... He, I'm just amused at the visual of the skinny white woman surrounded by a bunch of bouncers. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and she, but she was in her seat, and she wasn't saying anything. There was no, I, nothing. But Aziz was going, "Why won't you just leave? It's weird that you're not leaving. Why are you still here? You know." And she just shook her head, no, like just as if this is not happening. And so, and I do remember the lady from when I was on stage. Mm-hmm. And it's somebody where you can kind of identify like, okay, they're going to be a, be a problem here. you know, they're, they're, maybe they've been drinking a little bit or she's a little too familiar with the comics trying to talk to them. And so even as the host, I think I was, I might have said one thing to her, but it, it was probably as simple as like, okay, we got it. You know, don't, just make sure you guys don't shout out because, you know, if you do, you might be removed from the room. Right. And because they, they're pretty stringent on that. And she just wouldn't move. And as he's like, he's like, please, it'll be much better if you just leave. Because at this point, you've already passed the point of no return. Yeah. Th- like, like they're not going to just go, oh, no, everything's fine. Like they've shut the show down basically. Yeah. And Aziz is being very funny. And he's also being very empathetic with her too. Like he's, although she turned on the tears – uh, which in uh, pop culture would be like white woman tears when right. when you've done when they've done something wrong but then they make themselves the victim. It's like that that's kind of like in the zeitgeist. So, I'm not making that up. That term. It's a jujitsu move where they take your energy and turn it back against you. And so she started going, Oh, I'm so sorry that I ruined your show. I'm sorry, but you know, I've had you know, you know, whatever it is. And and he's like, No, it's no problem, but you should go. And you know, and to don't be sorry, just be gone. Just be gone, right? And she eventually did go, and her date didn't leave. He just stayed. Damn. And he's like, "Oh, I didn't do it. She's the one getting kicked out." (laughs) And so uh, now is he chatty or is he just? No, he was just enjoying the show. And so I think he knew (laughs) I maybe made a mistake here. He eventually, I think, did follow her out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think she had pulled a phone out. 
and started recording. And I think that's what got oh. her kicked out. And so she she finally goes out. And the bouncers never touched her. Mm. You know, they... I thought at one point because these are huge guys. These but are gigantic. Saying, They're like know, six, seven, six, eight, three hundred. Yeah, and she's tiny. She looked like she was like five, two, hundred pounds, and they could have just lifted up her chair and taken the whole chair outside yeah. easily. You know, uh, look like Cleopatra going down <laughs> the Nile, and so, but they didn't, and then. They finally get it all – Aziz has you know, done a master job in terms of keeping the crowd involved and not making this too crazy, making it more of a moment than, than a scene and yeah. gets everybody going again. And then somebody else in the room pulled out their phone and got kicked out. And I'm just like, did you not just see what happened? <laughs> like that, that's the that's – the, I, I want the chance to cry too. I know. And, and that's the thing. It's like I, I, I think that inherently people can be very stupid. And people don't think through the consequences of their actions all the time. Like whether or not they actually have intelligence is is b- beside the point. Just there are moments where people we all just do really dumb things where you go, "Why did you do that?" And I think everybody go, "I don't know." I don't. Yeah. I, I had a couple Later drinks. On, like what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. Why did why why did I pull out that camera? Because clearly that caused a giant scene. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point of any of bringing that up is that there are rooms that police. The room very well. So the room being a club or, or anything where they go, hey, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. I have performed many places where they do not police the room. And you, the comic, it's, hey, it's you. Deal with it. And whatever happens, happens. And we're not going to help you in any way. Uh, right, right. One thing that I'm kind of proud of is I think that we've largely avoided – those sorts of problems, whatever. I don't know everything we've done right or, or wrong, <laughs> but definitely one thing I think we've done right is created an environment where even people who might be inclined to that kind of behavior usually just kind of, oh, that's not what's going on here, and they kind of go oh, along with the flow. You yeah, know I mean? for sure. Well, the 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 main thing that you did to make sure that there was no hecklers was to have no audience. Oh, and I, so I, if I you just I, have nobody... <laughs> eliminate the middleman. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm saying kidding for the people listening because if they don't, <laughs> you if, think there are people listening? Uh, yeah. Well, wow. uh, is, is that we have the same audience here <laughs> as on the podcast as we did the live show? Exactly. No, there was always and th- the fan goes wild. Yeah, uh, but that's like, at your show. It was I think because you had uh, created a, an atmosphere and kind of a community, so we would see some of the same audience members. Every time, and that that there's good and bad to that. Uh, right? Yes, you know, one is I always felt like I, and I think that's part of why I did riff on the room and riffed on what was going on, is because just going into the same material for the same people, it's like I, I need to bring well, you something fresh. It was one uh, person who, who's been very supportive through the years, who in the last couple of years before a pandemic got into a thing where she would occasionally call out requests for jokes. Did you get hit with that? I'm trying to think if I did. I I do believe that she might have said, do this or do that. Because, like, sometimes in those instances I'll say, what do you guys want to talk about? And and just see if we can either riff on that or if it – it leads me to a joke that I already have about that kind of subject. So that's very possible that we did that. 
But I, I, so if I want to go back, um, so so you were raised in Indiana, correct? Yes, I was actually born in Missouri, but uh, we moved to Indiana when I was almost five. So I was four and a half when I moved. Do you to, have any memories of uh, pre-Indiana? I do. Yeah, I remember it quite well in Missouri, and I did not want to move from Missouri to Indiana. I remember at the time, but I'm glad that I did. But you know, because I'm was born in a small town in Missouri, southwest Missouri. So right near Arkansas, Oklahoma, uh, you know, that that kind of corner. And so it, it was cowboy boots, cowboy hats type of area. Uh-huh. Moved to... Farmed cows? Oh, yeah. Um, and I moved from there to the east side of Indianapolis. And so I moved to a city. Okay. And my one of the earliest laughs that I remember getting... And I don't know that – I don't remember if I did this to get a laugh or not. It's hard to judge intent. But people would say, oh, it's good to meet you. And, you know, you just moved here. And I said, yep, born in Missouri – or Missouri born and raised is what I would say. <laughs> okay. from, I'm from Missouri born and raised. <laughs> like, how old are you? When you I know, and I was four when I was saying that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so people found that amusing that a yeah. four-year-old would use the term born and raised. Right. And so I remember hey, getting I a laugh at that. this into a career. Yes. I had, that was probably not my first thought was career at that point. In fact, I don't think I thought comedy could even possibly be a career until I actually saw a live comedy show and in Indianapolis you you just that? out of college. Okay. Um, oh, all right. Because Where did you go to college? Indiana University. Okay. When, when as you were coming up in Indiana, what, what were you – did you have any thoughts as to what you were going to do with life? Oh, when I was real young, you know, elementary school age, I thought I was going to be in the Army because I loved G.I. Joe. And I just, you know, I would wear camouflage and, you know, that was what I wanted to be at that time. I wanted to be in the Army because G.I. Joe was cool and Mm -hmm. you can't be a Transformer, but you can be G.I. Joe, right? (laughs) Right. Not with that attitude. Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, that was at least at that time, what I thought I would be. And then, you know, we get to high school and I I wanted, I kind of wanted to be a pro wrestler. Now, I remember we had a wrestling team, but I wasn't really recruited for anything. I, wa- I wanted to play basketball. And so that was, that was the big thing for me. I was really invested into basketball. It's Indiana. Uh, yes, yes, but not, see this, there's a thing in me that always had like a little bit of this shyness. Mm-hmm. And so maybe, you know, I was, a, I was an overweight kid uh, probably from middle elementary up until high school. So and it's really, and you think about it, that's not that much of my life, but it was formative years. I was going to say, yeah, but that stays with you. Right, yeah. If you're, you know, 8 to eight to 16 or something like that, that being overweight, I was the fat kid. For some of us, it can create a shyness, you know, a little bit of bully. Yep. Now, I... You know, when I was 16, I was 5'11". I'm 6'2 now, so I just know that because that was my first height on my driver's license was 5'11", so I know that. But so I wasn't like the tallest kid. The big, I was tall, but not the tallest. So it's not something where at 15, 16, I'm 6'5", or something like that. Mm-hmm. So all of my basketball was uh, at that height, you know, more of a guard height. But I went to a school that was very large. So we had, I don't know how many, I think there are around 5,000 students now. But just when I went to conditioning, just conditioning for basketball, this is just when we're getting physically in shape for 
tryouts, there was about 200 guys just going to conditioning for tryouts. So wow. we had two, 300 guys conditioning, and then I didn't even show up to tryouts. I was so scared, essentially stage fright, mm -hmm. of I would go, I would play these open gym games, I'd do all the workouts, and then I just didn't show up to the actual, essentially what would be an audition. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. try on and out for a basketball team, because I, I would talk myself out. Oh well, there there's only 15 spots. You know, they're gonna take 10 football players that already have you know those spots anyway. So what's the point of even trying? You know, uh, there's only five spots for through two, three hundred guys, and that is something that I'm glad I went through, because as an adult and in the comedy industry, I go, you know what? Put yourself out there. Yeah, you you might not get it. <laughs> I'm 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 trying to picture like you know I don't want to go out for the high school basketball team. I I'm not I'm not comfortable with rejection. Let's try this comedy. Let's try thing. this comedy thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, people talk about regrets, and I think sometimes regretting something can inform your future decisions Absolutely. and go like, oh, I wish I had at least gone. I, I wish I had gone to the trials to see what had happened. Yeah. Because. I'm a decent basketball player and ended up being – I probably could have tried to walk on to a smaller school and just said, let me let – because me, I could shoot. I could play defense at the time very well. I was very good at blocking shots even for my size. Could anything happen? Maybe. But I'd rather be cut first, first cuts and have known than to never know. And so yeah. that informs my decisions now. It's like I'd rather try for something audition for something and not get it than to go what if i had you know if i if i didn't chicken out of that what might have happened you know you know i've auditioned for america's got talent a couple times the produ every year the producer seems to contact me and say we really want want you to be part of this thing and i get to like the final rounds that are up to being televised, so people don't know, but like all these people audition multiple times before they yes, even get yes. to the television stuff, the which is the thing. And I, I've made it all the way to literally executive producers where it's just me in front of two people in a room. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get it. So, mm -hmm. but I don't have to wonder, like, I wonder if I had actually gone and spent my whole day auditioning with these people, what would happen? I know, I, I didn't get it for whatever reason. So I don't, and I also learned it's not the biggest deal. There is a lot more that goes into decisions than just yes. you. So like basketball, maybe I wouldn't have made it because maybe they had 10 guys that would have played my position that were bigger, uh, taller, more athletic, or just better basketball players. Or they might have had 30 guys that could play a different position, but they didn't have anybody that could have played my position. I, I didn't. I don't know. Yeah, but, you yeah, know, yeah. But but that's the way it works. Knowing what happened rather than wondering what. Happened. Yes, and that's that would have been true. That's true of everything. Now, as an adult, I can understand that more. It's like, essentially, even in basketball, there's casting. There are roles that people need Indeed. to fill, and that's what it is for. Whether I'm auditioning for a club, whether I'm auditioning for a television show, you're you're filling a role. And that's what everybody is in life. They're, everyone's filling a role. Well, let me ask you this. So, so uh, where, where did the dream of, of going into the armed forces uh, dissipate? I, I think the last gasp 
of any of that was – so I went to Indiana University, but I really wanted to go to the University of Michigan. Oh. And, uh, you know, at the, uh, we were coming out of the Fab Five. Also, Michigan football is very big. They won a national title while I was in high school. And I, well, I was like, ah, I want, I want to go to Michigan, you know. And they're, they're great academically, mm-hmm. uh, but they're very expensive out of state. Uh. Really, really expensive. And so I thought after my freshman year at Indiana, I go, you know, I'll go to Indiana for a year and then I'll decide what I want to do. So I thought maybe I'll transfer. But the only way I can really do that is there is an ROTC program, which is just basically officer training programs. And so my friend was in the ROTC at Indiana and they do army there. And so it was, hey, he's getting his college paid for. Maybe I could do that at Michigan, uh, and they they were Navy there, so ROTC Navy at Michigan, and so I thought oh, I'll join the Navy, and they do physical tests, and one of them is you squat down and you have to put each leg out in front of the other. They call it the duck walk, mm-hmm. and I had some friends from high school who they did not go to college, and they kind of needed something to do with their lives. They were kind of floundering a little bit. And so we all went to the recruitment office together, you know, and just to find out, you know, what what we might be interested because I was saying I want to be in the ROTC and they, they gave us these tests and uh, one of those, wh- whatever the written test is, I excelled at. They were like, man, you got, this is some of the highest scores you can get on this thing. You could get any job in the military you would want if you do this. Now we just need to see the duck walk. And I couldn't do it. Like there's something about the balance of being crouched down, you know, but almost touching the ground, then putting your feet out that I'm just, you know, built weird in terms of that. Like uh-huh. my legs are too long or something because I have long limbs, like I have long arms. That's what helped me in basketball is uh, yeah. having like these long arms. And so I, I couldn't do it. And they're like, well, honestly, we can't, we couldn't even, there's no way you're going to get into any of this if you can't physically do that thing. And my friends, I had a friend that was very overweight, and he could do it somehow, you know, just maybe this way his limbs were or whatever. And so that was like the last gasp of thinking anything military was Mm -hmm. hearing that and going, well, there's no point in pursuing ROTC if I'm physically going to be disqualified Mm -hmm. from it. So that was – and also I started to enjoy Indiana University and like – build a community there. Yeah. So I was like, Michigan became less of a desire there. But that was kind of, that was the end of the military gotcha. Where did you get your degree in? Psychology. So I, I went into school thinking I was going to be a lawyer. I thought, so just thinking of like different professions. Every time. So after the professional wrestling thing, which was like high school <laughs> era, I thought, I'm going to be a lawyer because... I, I kind of like the spectrum of your, your consideration oh, of choice. All over the place, right? And But I think that if you, in a broad sense, if you look at what it was that I wanted to be, essentially I wanted to be G.I. Joe. Then I wanted to be Hulk Hogan or, you know, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be a professional just, wrestler. Just, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, action figures. Yes. <laughs> and then a lawyer. They're all, in a sense, performing. Yeah. Of some kind. G.I. Joe was a show. Essentially, I wanted to be a cartoon. I wanted to be in a show. And 
I always wanted to be Bugs Bunny. There you go. You know what? I think Chappelle wanted to be Bugs Bunny. So, like, <laughs> you're, you're in the good company there, I guess, in terms of comedy. <laughs> and so uh, professional wrestling is a performing art. Mm-hmm. And lawyer is a performance element. Like, I, I got into speech and debate when I was in senior in high school. And so just – Standing up in front of people then became like, oh, I actually like this. Like, I think I could do this. So I wanted to be a lawyer. And I went in. I was going to be a history major. And I did not do very well my first semester at college. So I ended up with a psychology degree. And now to practice psychology, you have to actually go get a advanced degree, like a doctorate. to Because my brother is a psychologist. He has a oh, okay. doctorate in psychology. But How many siblings? I have three, so there's four of us total. But I, I came along a lot later. So, okay, um, so you're the baby? Yes, but there's a gap between those three and me. Uh, the the youngest of them is 14 years older than me. Oh, wow. So there's is. a big gap. And so, like, the oldest of them is 18 years older than me, almost, you know, 20. Wow. We're getting close to that 20 year mark. And so they, well, they probably felt like aunts and uncles feel like to other people. Mm-hmm. They, that's how they felt to me. Wow. Were they in the house when you were growing up? Well, no. Um, the youngest of those, the one that's 14 years older than me, she was for – let's see. If she was 14 when I was born, by the time I turned four, she was off to college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she got – so all of them got married very young. So they were 19, 20, all of them, when they got married. So I think she was 20 when she got married. She had done two years of college. So I do remember her living with us, but not in the way that you or, or somebody else might remember growing up with a sibling. It's She was there during the summers of my memory because anything before that, my, I wouldn't be able to remember enough you yeah. know, because I don't remember three, two and three years old. But – that, so it doesn't it, it doesn't even really felt like she was there. I do remember her having a room. I remember her having a gizmo from Gremlins, oh, yeah, stuffed yeah, yeah. animal. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, but in terms of like real interaction, she was there for a couple months during the summer in my memory. Yeah. So she did move. She was young enough that she moved from Missouri to Indiana with us, but was basically married. She, I think I was seven when she got married. Mm-hmm. So three years later after we moved to Indiana, she was married and, and then she was out. out. And so – and the other two had already been married. They stayed behind in Missouri. I don't remember their weddings. So I, I know there's pictures of me there. <laughs> I think I was the ring bearer for all of them. Oh, but man. But it was – I would have been very young for them. So they just – they always seem like they were – I don't remember them not married. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. So, so you get the psych degree. How, how do you get to comedy? It was uh, in that period of time. I was thinking, waiting before seeing about graduate school. I went to an open mic because a friend of mine, my college roommate, senior year, was his sister was doing stand-up comedy in Indianapolis at the open mics, and so yeah, all right, we'll go. We'll go see what this is all about. And we went. And, you know, generally speaking, open mic comedy is not great. You know, (laughs) there's a couple people there. You know, a couple jokes I even remember hearing. There's one guy that's still doing comedy to this day that I remember seeing him and thinking he was very funny. But afterwards, they said, if anybody wants to try this, you can sign up after the show. And 
come back next month and do it because they did it weekly, but you would sign up for the next month. You know, they sign like so four weeks ahead. People buying stuff two shows in a row. Yes, yes. And so we we signed up as a duo. I was like, hey, maybe we should try oh, this. <laughs> yeah, you want to try this? Because, you know, I, was, I always tried to do funny things in college and high school, but and perform to some degree, but never was in plays or anything. It goes back to that, you know, I didn't uh, ever go out for the basketball team, really. I didn't go to the actual tryouts. I didn't go to any auditions for plays or anything like that. I was always a little too scared with that. But this one, I had changed my tune on this. I was like, I'm going to do this. And me and my friend, maybe because we were going to do it as a duo, that gave me enough confidence of like, we're we're doing this together. If, we, if, we, if I'm going down, I'm going down with somebody. Right, right. So we signed up together. Now, we have four weeks to come up with something, and you know I'm writing down some ideas, and uh, and uh, I think I I got something here, and we never w- went over stuff together. And maybe a week before he goes, I'm not doing it. Oh, like I I can't do it. He goes, we didn't come up with anything, and it's only a three minute spot that we were going to be doing. Right, right, right. And so I go, well, I am. I am going to do this. I signed up, and I'm actually going to do this. And he said, I'll go support you. I'll go watch, but I can't. I can't go up there without you know anything. So, I went up and did my. Well, it was supposed to be a three-minute spot. I probably did five minutes because they're supposed to light you with one minute to go. That's a general rule of, of those open mics. They put up a red light so you know your time is wrapping up. So that should have been at two minutes. So I had timed this thing out to be three minutes. I did what I thought was the two-minute mark, no light, three minutes, uh, everything I basically had written down, no light. I start riffing just a little bit, got a couple laughs, and then finally I just go, well, I don't don't have anything else. So (laughs) that's it for me, guys. And I said, thank you. Then the light goes on. Uh And so they, afterwards, the person that was running the light, the people that ran the open mic go, oh, you were great. You were so good that we just decided to give you the full amount of time. Because after the first time, because first time is three minutes, every time after that was always six minutes. Oh. So they said, oh, you did so good that we're going to – we just gave you your full time. And so I – That's that, it. Re- reward the person running the light. Yeah. Well, that, that – well, you weren't running the I light, wasn't, babe. I, I yeah. wasn't – yeah, I wasn't running the light. It never got the light. And so I – that made me feel good. Yeah. Uh, but I think what reality was, they forgot I was only doing three. <laughs> And they for, they forgot that to light me, and so then when I was saying, I got to wrap up, it was, I hit five minutes, so they had just turned the light on, and so, because it was on a timer, I remember that club had a timer that would flip the light on, and so they just put that to five and forgot about me, and so, but that was enough to get me hooked, and I never stopped doing it from there. I, I got a job at the club. Do, being an usher, like almost immediately, I think I talked to them and said, you know, are there... You th- got to put that psychology degree to use somehow. Somehow, right? And so using it on like them. So I got more spots at the open mics because you're only supposed to do it once a month. But because I worked there as an usher, they put me on every single week. Oh, nice. And so I got that. And then occasionally I would be able to do like host on a Sunday or, you know, something where the shows were a little smaller. I uh, never got up to really being the paid host for a week before I moved to New York City. 
Uh, but I met Abby there. I saw her first time at that club. Oh, nice. Um, and it was very depressing because it was, oh, she's so much better than me. And I've been doing this for six months. Oh. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I've been doing this six months. I really know what I'm doing, which, you know, anybody that's actually a competent professional, six months is nothing. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've five, six years is barely anything. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so uh, the move to New York with that uh, in, in search of comedy? Or it, it, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I, I had only been doing comedy a year or so in Indiana, which is absolutely nothing, and it probably would have behooved me to stay in Indiana a little bit longer. So essentially, I was starting out in New York, right. starting from the very bottom because one year is nothing. Yeah. And so I was doing – like when I said Jeff Cole, it's like I went and barked for him a couple times. Mm-hmm. I was a terrible barker. I did – one uh, bringer show ever, and it, me and Abby were both on this show, and they forgot to put me on. Oh, jeez. And so I brought people to a show that they forgot to put me on, and you know, it was something where I was like, I guess I'm going to be last. Was, it, was, that, was that New York Comedy Club? It was. I, I had that experience. Um, yeah, and they put me on a different one. And said, you don't have to bring anybody to the next one because we forgot you. Right. But the one that I had actually brought people to actually see me perform, I wasn't on. Luckily, Abby was on, so we only we knew the same people. So they got to see her. But it is something where that was, that's the only bringer I ever did as bringing people. And somebody really very early on, uh, Carolyn Castilla, uh, yeah, had, yeah. had said – Taken us both under her wing, kind of, because... Oh, she's so nice. Oh, well, she had been doing a show at the time, Chicks and Giggles, which is an all-female lineup. So Abby did that show. Carolyn was one of those people who... Abby had done Chicks and Giggles very early on. She goes, do not do bringers. Do not bark for people. There's ways to do this. Start your own show. We did. We started our own show in a coffee shop called The Living Room Show. Which we did for a long time, which still exists. But I was going to say, the show is still, still going. Yes. It, it's not us running it anymore. We got to the point where we were doing other things. And yeah. it, running a show in New York City was not going to be one of them at a coffee shop. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's... But that was a consistently good show and, and a nice vibe. I went, went through there a few times. Oh, our, yeah, you our did dear it. friend PR guy, Gordon, was a regular... Oh, yeah. He still might be a regular. Uh, I, th- I think so. I think so. Yeah. So he, he – you guys, you come through and you would do, do the show. And our goal when we had done that was – because we heard so many no's early on – was it's kind of a form of what people are doing now where you just go around the gatekeepers. So we heard so many people saying no to us, especially me. You know, Abby got on more shows because – there was more, especially at the time, mm. more need for female comics on shows and also a female co- a comic of color. It was mm. like, man, she's in much more need than some white guy that just started out in comedy who's le- trying to learn how to be funny. Mm. You know, so at this point, I'm the, probably the white guy taking up spots from the younger comics that don't know how to be funny yet that I can go and be funny. But um, it's something where we were like we have to start our own thing you know and we did we started a show so that we we did it on friday nights it's on wednesday nights they moved it now after were the you pandemic. A, a couple when you first came to new york yes and so I, you actually asked if we had moved together so i had already decided to move to new york she was going to move to new york or la i think that just 
us dating, she was kind of like New because I talked about how New York is the capital of comedy, and she's like, mm-hmm. you know what, I think I am going to move there as well, and so. We got separate places when we moved to New York, so we didn't move. move. And then you got to look at the rent and like, you know what? I love you. <laughs> we actually had, ended up having separate places until we got married because, I, you know, my first few months, my first six months, I bounced around to like six different places. That's kind of what happens in New York. You you know, I was, I was in my first sublet, then a second sublet, it ended. Then I was in my church minister's, li- you know, extra room for a little bit. And then I got uh, a, a place that was next to Prospect Park that was a studio. And so this guy had, he was keeping it as not really income, just got it to as an investment Yeah. while he went to law school. And so... He let me stay there. And I, I think my entire time there, I lived there five years, I believe, was 900 a month the entire time. And so, Whoa. and I think Abby ended up getting a studio on uh, in, in Park Slope. And I think her something was like 1100 or something like that. So it's like, uh, it was always doable for us. So uh, how did you find the, the comedy landscape in New York? How, how did you find making your way there? Oh, it's very difficult, uh, in which I think it's just as difficult now as it ever has been. I think it's always a difficult thing because there's a lot of people wanting to do the same spots everywhere. And yeah. like, like I was even saying about the white guy thing, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that if you want somebody to come on your show and kill – you might ask me before you're going to ask a guy that's been doing it two years that, you know, it's filling those roles. It's the casting, like the basketball team. I can fill, I can be your starting center and I'm going to score 20 and 10 for you. And so if there's somebody that's just happens to be tall, but really if you put them in that spot, they're going to score two points and get three rebounds. You're not going to put them in yet. And so but I used to be that guy. I used to be the guy that's like. How do you get from being that guy to being the, the 2010 guy? Work, <laughs> hard, long years of work. And so, it, and not everyone gets to that spot, but like I'm very fortunate that I believe that I've gotten help along the way, but I've always, always really been passionate about comedy. And that's the first thing is being passionate about what you do. It's, it's okay to be consumed buy it you know yeah. I, I had i did a show in philadelphia on wednesday me sherrod small went down there and did uh the philly punchline and there was a comic there that i think he said he had just started the, uh, the open mic so i think he had done it once and spoke to me he goes what what advice do you have and this is the first time i've maybe had this galvanized point in my brain and and able to articulate it to somebody else i said be consumed with comedy. That's my advice to you. <laughs> so that means think, and, thinking about it, talking about it. It's always on your mind. Even mm-hmm. if you're doing something else, have a notebook on you, all your ideas, yeah. it, and, and be working on it and going to the shows and going to the mics. And, you know, like I said, when I started, get a job at the comedy club, be around it, talk to the headliners and the features and the MCs. And, and at no point, in your day and during your life, are you not have some sort of comedy something on your brain? And if that's not something that you want to do, that's okay. But comedy might not be for you. Like anything, it, well, it might be for you, but it might not be at the highest level. It just, uh, right. it, you know, it just depends on what you want to be 
with this. Maybe you don't want to be a professional comic. Maybe you want to just do it occasionally. That's fine too. Yeah, it, it, it's all what what does it mean to you, and if if it means a certain thing, then you have to have certain actions to go with that. It's it's got to it's got to be consuming. So if you think about what it takes to be a professional basketball player versus a college basketball player versus high school versus just somebody at the rec league or pickup games is every NBA player to some degree are consumed by basketball, like their entire life, their diet, their exercise, their sleep schedule. They have to do it almost academically in terms of watching game film and prepping for opponents. And it has to be all consuming. So they're always thinking. And then their leisure time, like I've heard someone like Kevin Durant say, he's watching basketball when he's not working at basketball and he's playing basketball in uh, in, uh, street ball in New York City when he's not actually required to be playing basketball somewhere. And so it's certainly nothing's going to come to you of any value, money or otherwise, if you're not in it like that. Oh, yeah. And and that's not to say that everyone's at the same exact blessed with the same gifts. LeBron James. Yes. Well, LeBron James has the best work ethic and the best physical attributes. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. You know, and there's going to be comics like that. Uh, Sinbad. Is just gonna be have a great work ethic, but he's also gonna have these tools that happens to make him an amazing comic. Mm-hmm. It might not make him amazing in an office or make him <laughs> amazing in a relationship. I don't know, but it makes him an amazing comic. Yeah. All right. So, how do you see uh, yourself as, as a comic? I mean, do, do you have the 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 natural attributes as well as the work ethic? I, clearly, you have the work ethic. I do have the work ethic. I do think what I have naturally is a brain for comedy. And so not only do I think that I can think up comedy for myself, I do think that I have maybe an endless well of imagination. You know, being essentially growing up like an only child, even though I have siblings, I spent a lot of time imagining a lot. You know, being an overweight kid, too, meant that I'm. Uh, observing other people enjoying themselves. So I'm imagining I'm, you know, just when I'm playing G.I. Joe or Ninja Turtles or whatever I am doing when I was young, all the way up through, I used to work at a loading dock when I was in college, in high school. And I would, I have a little notebook and I would just write down story ideas, not comedy yet, but, you know, just story ideas. I'm like, oh, that would be a great story. You know, just this well of those things. So that's what my natural thing is, I don't think that I'm the most charismatic naturally to people. I think someone like uh, my wife, Abby, is way more talented than me. Like, I think she just has these natural gifts. Something that you just, you see when we're on camera or when anybody's on camera, she pops on camera. Like her liveliness and she's just uh, vivacious on screen. Whereas me, I think sometimes I can come across a little flat on screen. I think live, I I pop, but you know, it, it's something that's like, oh, I have to be aware of that. So that's a, you know, you have to make weaknesses strengths. I have to work. I've had to work on that to mm-hmm. to be more charismatic on camera, which Abby just has a more natural ability to that. She just has a charisma that it, comes it, across. It is funny. I I don't know if I agree with your assessment of, of yourself on that regard, but I, I do know that there there's definitely something that you can't really define or, or you know, it's just there's just some people who just 
they they, they just look right on camera. Yes. You yeah. know, and uh, if you don't have that, there's really not much you can do except to try and do interesting things when you are on camera. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And like, and, all right, well, that's not going to happen, but I can hold your attention with this, you yeah. know? Yeah, and and who knows? I mean, there's sometimes voice can be different for people, you know, like, oh, man, you have a great voice for radio. Uh, yeah, 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 know? yeah. And or podcasting. And, and some people don't. You know, I don't think that I have the most interesting voice or speech pattern. So that's something I've had to work on, because I think being from Indiana, born Missouri, I think I would tend to be slower in my speak. So I, a lot of times I'm a little I draw things out a little bit more, which I think, again, translates to camera of like you want people to like have sharp statements on camera podcasts. I can kind of. Uh, like this, we can have a conversation and can kind of maybe make some things interesting with a pause. But you don't want that if you were watching, you know, a 30 second clip about, you know, the, in an NBA team, you want to hear Stephen A. Smith have his points and make them really quickly. Right. And very, very succinctly. And so and animatedly, you don't want to hear some guy kind of draw things out and be so that, that those are the things that I've had to work on where I maybe not as naturally gifted, whereas I probably could wrote, write the copy for somebody else to read and make a much more interesting copy than some people do for themselves. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I have written for some, some comics. And so who knows? Who knows whether that's a plus or a minus in this? So, so how do you assess where you are right now in your comedy career versus where you would like to go? Or are you there? Well, no, I'm not. I don't think I'll ever be there, whatever there is, because I'm always wanting to work and get better. Like, I think I'm always constantly getting better. So uh, I can go kill at a club and still think, ah, oh, there's there's more there. Like, I, I realize every time I'm doing a joke, like, oh, maybe there's a little more body movement here or maybe a little extra pause. Okay. If I put a little extra pause there or, you know, I, I've started with a joke that I had just been telling to the audience. I've started telling it as if the person is there in front of me and I start looking around. At, I'm not looking at anything. I'm on stage and, you know, the background's exactly what it is. Yeah. So I'm adding elements and layers to that. Now, professionally, it's hard to say because there are variables that come into play that I don't have complete control over. Right. Um, I would love to be pitching a television show. I've got two pilots that I have written that I think both are really fun ideas. And I would like to pitch those, but I don't have currently the connections to pitch them. You, uh, would you like to be in these shows or are you just thinking uh, uh, behind the scenes writing sort of thing? You know, my my actual desire would be to be in it as a secondary character, not the main characters, even though uh, the main character might be written, a main character might be written after me uh, or have elements of me. I would love to be kind of to use a, a non-comedy example, a Quentin Tarantino, you know, like in Pulp Fiction, he's in it. He's a, he's actually an actor. He was yeah. an actor before he became a director, and he's in them and he's in it. But I, I like the idea of creating the world and then helping guide people through it, mm -hmm. and saying in writing the story and kind of where are we going from that. And 
I think being a secondary character would be fun on something like that. But I think being the main character, I don't know that I'm Sylvester Stallone that I can write the entire thing and be the star of it and do that very well. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure about that. Do you, would, do you see yourself ever transitioning out of stand-up if some of this other stuff clicks? No, no. Stand-up is for life. As the NWO and pro wrestling used to say, it's for life. And uh, so I still have the Samoy pro wrestling in me. It's, uh, it's something where it's everything else, I would love for it to feed into the stand-up. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, an example, I mean, this is the highest example you can get to, but there's people like Kevin Hart mm-hmm. who, yes, it's a, he's doing television shows and movies and commercials and, and working the NBA All-Star game and doing all of these things, but he's still doing stand-up and he's still creating comedy and putting those things out. And that's really where my passion lies. And all of these other things are another creative outlet. I still have this outlet that I would love to be able to express that I maybe haven't been able to yet, but who knows whether that opportunity may or may not come. But, yeah. uh, but let me ask you this. Uh, so what do, what do you, uh, I, I know you've got the podcast now, right? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the podcast? Oh yeah. Abby and I have been doing this podcast now uh, for a little bit and it's called The Kid Is In School. And it's just something we started because, you know, we have a child who is five now and she's in kindergarten. And the fact that she's in school meant we got a little bit of our life back where anyone that has kids knows them being around means your conversations are dominated by them. And even last night we were trying to talk about something. I I forget. I think it might have been comedy related. Mm -hmm. It most likely was comedy related. It was at the dinner table. And we kept getting interrupted by our daughter just because (laughs) she's like, I don't – basically what she's saying is this is boring. I don't want to hear about this. (laughs) And so you know, just imagine trying to have any conversation every 30 seconds somebody says, stop talking about that. It, it disrupts the flow. So that's what the podcast basically is like, man, this is our time to just talk and talk about anything. It doesn't have to, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be, it's just, we're not talking about uh, whatever cartoon that she is watching that she loves talking about, or this video game on the iPad that she's playing merge mansion. She always wants to talk about merge mansion. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but uh, okay. I, I listen to her. <laughs> and that's the thing about having kids is, you know, at least parents that want to be involved, maybe some don't. I listen to her and I want to be in involved in her conversations, but it doesn't leave a lot of time for us. So that's what the podcast is. But, but for whatever it's worth, I, I, you're, I've, I've long been an admirer of your work ethic, and I have seen it pay off in the growth of your work over the years. And like, like, like I'm some sort of fucking car- comedy arbiter. But, <laughs> but it's just as someone who seen a lot of people pass through our doors through the years like you you over the years have just like your your money in the bank i know you're going to be on stage i know it's going to be a good night well and, that and thank I, you I thank you for choosing but, to spend as much time <laughs> at our place as you have well something before we go i don't know if we're wrapping up but it's something just to let you know you are a big part of that process and people like you that have 
provided a stage and an opportunity for somebody who, well, I'm sure when we started, I wasn't funny. I'm sure I was probably bombing at your shows when we first started, or you guys give me some generous love that maybe I hadn't earned yet in terms of laughter. And, you know, that would have been 12 years ago or whatever, 13 years ago that we first started doing things together. And it's something where it's it's your show. It's people. There's like Randy Epley out there who I did his hostel shows, which were rough shows. But, you know, I it grew in them and, you know, doing my own show and doing Dave Lester shows and doing, you know, just down the list of people that are part of this process who uh, there's pe plenty of people that told me no over the years. But you're one of the people that said, yes, come come perform here and that's that is one of the key su success points is having a community that is willing to let you grow with them because otherwise no matter how much hard work if i'm just doing it in front of a mirror there is there's no real growth that's going to happen Be before we uh Say goodbye forever. No, uh, before we wrap this up, um, where if people want to see your great work, where can they uh, come see you? Well, all live gigs will be at comedianloop.com uh, just because, you know, I got my calendar there. It's easy because depending on when somebody hears this, they could be hearing it right when it comes out. They could be hearing it a year later. So rather than giving specific dates, go there. Also, uh, I'm at Comedian Luke on all social. So YouTube, subscribe on YouTube. I put up videos of my stand-up and uh, TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. All of those places are at Comedian Luke. So depending on what, how you like to connect, Facebook, any of those places, follow, subscribe, all of that so that you can be part of this. And, and comment too. And I'll, I'll try to like – I try to reply to the comments, especially ones that are positive. The negative ones, you know, I don't know about that. But, well, you know. you know, try to avoid being insulting. Yes. <laughs> as long as there's somebody behind them going, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> there really should be a rule on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but all right. Th thank you so much for your time. I look forward to having you back at our show soon. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Take care, my friend. Thank you, sir. That was Luke Thayer. Uh, I, I love that guy. He's just such a nice guy, and he's really, really funny. And it's funny because I always enjoyed him. Uh, when I first met him, I, I, I thought he was very funny. Uh, but it, it's exciting to see how good he's gotten through the years. He uh, you know, was good at the beginning, but uh, less consistent, and now he, he's just money in the bank. So uh, thanks to Luke for chatting with us. I want to thank my producer, the, the unstoppable Gary Hardcastle. want to thank additional audio provided by Miles Mix Appeal Blue, Blue Spoots. And uh, as always, our theme music was written and performed by King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. Until next time, I want to thank you guys for, for spending some time with us. We're going to leave you with uh, a song from our dear friend Jordan Oakwin, World Keeps Turning. And uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. Until next time, uh, thank you so much for being here. My name is Eric Vedder. I love you all.
People cry and people laugh. Widows weep and children clap, and the world keeps turning. The world keeps turning. Jobs are lost, planes crash, fans cheer, gamblers grasp, and the world keeps turning. The world keeps turning. All things come and pass. Life goes on no matter the past. So let go and just live along the way. Cause the world will keep on turning anyway. Yeah, the world will keep on turning anyway. Lovers go, lovers come. Dinner's good, dessert sucks, and the world keeps turning. World keeps turning. Sky's blue and then it's gray. River flowing, tidal change, and the world keeps turning. The world keeps turning. All things come and pass. Life goes on no matter the past. So let go and just live along the way. Cause the world. Turning anyway.